This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. We are in a series called Revive, if you're new with us for the very first time. And uh, we've taken a couple of Sundays, last Sunday and this Sunday, to talk about one of the ordinary, um, oldest means by which we spiritually awaken to God for the very first time and that way we are sustained by the life-giving power of God in a day-by-day relationship through Jesus Christ. And that's all revival. Now, revival finds its spark when ordinary people open up the Bible and see the glory of Jesus with new eyes. That's how revival throughout the history of the world. That's how revival sparks. It's how it's maintained. It's what flows out of it. But we talked about last week that for all the promise of the God-breathed word in front of us, it's difficult to get into. And I use the illustration of an orange. An orange is healthy for us. An orange is tasty Uh, An orange is very accessible. You probably have a bowl of oranges at your house. We have a bowl of oranges. But for all of the promise of what that orange is for me on a day-to-day basis, it gets passed up oftentimes uh, because it's not the most convenient fruit out there. There's other things that I can reach for instead of getting into the orange because the orange is messy. It takes some time to get into and uh, it's, gonna make, it's just going to make a mess, and it's just, not, it's just not convenient. And that's sort of like the Bible. For all of its promises of what it offers to us on a day-to-day basis, unless we learn how to get into it we, won't, it, we won't discover the delight of it. We won't be nourished by the truth that it offers to us, and we've got to learn how to get into it. So last week we talked about some ways that we get into the, uh, the Bible. Uh, I asked this in the first service. Now, I don't know how many of you got into the Bible, but did anybody uh, have a fresh encounter with an orange last week? This week? <laughs> Something about seeing an orange on display like that. I started to get pictures of oranges. So hopefully, the, the, you know, that translated over into the Bible as well, which was the point of that. Uh, so last week... Uh, How do we get into the Bible? But this week, today especially, we're going to be talking about how to get the Bible into us. See, once we get into the Bible, once we've taken the effort, and it is effort, right? It's messy effort. It's effort that gets rewarded. But once we get into the Bible, uh, we need to then get the Bible into us. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the ancient discipline called Christian meditation. You heard it here first. We're going to talk today about meditation, Christian meditation, different from any other kind of meditation that you're hearing out there. It's an ancient discipline in the Christian faith that has blessed believers and followers of Jesus for years. And my hope is that if you've never started meditating on the Bible, today will be the day that you start. Or if you've done it in the past and you've just fallen out of that rhythm, 
that you will start to make this part of your routine and part of your life. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to look at Psalm 1, and we're going to talk about what is it and why is it important, and then we're going to spend some time talking about how do we actually do it, how do we meditate on the Bible. So take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 1, or take your device and go to Psalms. If you're new to the Bible, the Psalms are right in the middle. So crack it open right in the middle and go to the very first one called Psalm 1. And some of you are familiar with Psalm 1. Maybe for some of you, it's the very first time you've ever encountered this psalm. You're going to enjoy this. So I'm going to read it and pray and we'll get going. Psalm 1 starts off this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we ask that you would move on our hearts to awaken the kind of faith that glorifies you, to awaken the kind of trust that glorifies you, and help us not only to get into the word, but help us by your spirit to let the word get into us. We need your grace for this. We need your help for this. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's talk a little bit about why it is important. Notice the way that the writer of Psalm 1 breaks up the psalm a little bit. In the first two verses, you get choices. In the Verses after that, verses 3 and 4, you get results of those choices. And in verses 5 and 6, you get consequences, more long-term consequences. So as we're reading Psalm 1, you should think that the first couple are just kind of day-to-day choices, and then those choices have results. How many of you know that choices have results? Well, and then those results flow out into some really long-term consequences. So choices, results, consequences, and let's take the first two together. Verse 1 and 2 are choices. Notice that he opens up with, blessed is the man. Now, blessed here means whole and joyful and peaceful and happy. Uh, So when you think of the word Blessed, I don't know what comes to your mind, but when the Bible writer is saying that word, it's a holistic word. It means all of, uh, all of the thinking and all of the feeling and all of the emotions and everything else is, is right where it needs to be. It's holistic. You're a whole person. If you don't do these things, you don't make these choices, but you make these choices. Well, what does the whole and joyful and peaceful man not do? Well, notice what he does not do. The choices are, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Notice that wicked people in the world have counsel. They're not neutral. They're not passive. They have words to say 
and they have counsel to give and they want you to walk with them. They want you to stop walking where you are walking and walk with them and walk in their counsel. And not only do they want you to walk in their counsel, they want you to slow down and stand with them and hear some more of their advice. And then they not only want you to stand, they want you to take one more step and sit down into the seat of the scoffers. So do you see the settling down language there? Walk leads to standing, leads to sitting down. So nobody starts sitting down in the seat of addiction to pornography. You say, well, how did I get here? Well, you got here, not by starting here. You got here by starting way over here. You started to make some choices to walk in that path. And then you started to stand there. And then you started to sit down. Now, in in every one of our lives, you've got an example where you did something like that. You walked in that path and then you started to settle down into the advice that you were hearing. And the advice was wicked, but you heard it, you listened to it, you started to stand and then you sunk down into it. And that's the way our sin nature wants to go. It it naturally moves in that direction to settle down. Now the scoffer in the Bible is really clear. Jude says in the last times, that's, that's these days, there will be scoffers. Scoffers are people who follow their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So scoffers are people that are totally in the world and in love with the world. Now there are people all around us and they might say that they They believe in Jesus and they've maybe signed a card or something like that, but they are consumed with a love for the world. And they are worldly people uh, because they love the world and they love the evil of the world and they are influenced by the evil of the world and they want you to settle down into what they are entrapped by and, and they are everywhere. And they cause divisions and uh, they're consumed with their ungodly passions. Now, notice that God is not the enemy of passion. The very next verse says, although he doesn't do this, he does this. He makes choices to delight. Does everybody see that word? God is not the enemy of pleasure and joy and delight. He is opposed to evil and ungodly passions, but he is all about delight and joy and wholeness and peace. Delight here means to respond with pleasure. When you respond with pleasure about anything, you delight in it. And oftentimes you tweet about it. You know what I'm saying? So if you delight in something, you eat. You probably take a picture of it and throw it up on Instagram or Facebook. If you delight in somewhere that you've been or somewhere that you're going or somebody that you're hanging out with or the celebrity that you got a selfie with or something like that, you uh, let the world know that you're taking pleasure in something and you're responding with delight. And, and, and we experience delight all day long. And sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not. Well, the source of all delights is God. 
who wants us to experience and expand our delights. He's not a He's not the one that says, stop delighting. He wants to expand our delights in the right places. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So the Bible assumes we're not just like physical people nor cognitive people only. We are thinking people, but we're also feeling people. In the history of the the church, oftentimes these things are divorced and separated. And okay, you can either be a feeling person over here where we're just going to love God with all of our hearts and, and we're not really going to think about deeply theological things or we're going to be really heady people over here and we're going to love God with all of our minds, but we're not going to do what those people are doing over here. We're going to be really precise theologically. And the Bible says you don't have to make those choices. The blessed man doesn't make those choices. He thinks with his mind and he feels with his heart. He loves God with all of his mind. He loves God with all of his heart. So it's not uh, wrong to uh, think with precision. When you think with precision, you feel with passion, godly passion. So meditating leads to delighting. And that's, notice that's what he says. Those cho- these are choices. He delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in good things. And uh, that delight flows from a meditation. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So we're going to talk a little bit more about meditation here in just a moment. For now, think of it this way. Meditating means to think deeply. Already I'm separating it from transcendental or Eastern meditation. Christian meditation is to engage your mind to be a thinker. Thinking deeply is involved in meditating. Okay, so if you make these choices, what are the results of those choices? Look at verses 3 and 4. Well, the results are that thinking and delighting person is like a tree. How many of you woke up this morning and said, the dream of my life would have always envisioned for my life. It's to be like the tree in my front yard. Probably not. But here's why it should be, okay? According to the Bible. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and in all that he does, he prospers. So three things right out of the bat. That somebody who delights and makes those choices in the word, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. He's fruitful. He's fruitful. She's fruitful. They, they have a leaf that does not wither. Now, what, what tree out there? I'm sure after the message, somebody will come up to me and say, there is a tree somewhere in Alaska in some mountain or something. What tree are you aware of that could boast in the fact that the leaf never withers, ever, never, no matter what season it's in, no matter what's coming against the tree, it just never, ever, ever withers. Well, that's the promise out here. The blessed person has a, has a leaf flowing out of its life and leaves that don't wither. And notice in all that he does, he prospers. Now that doesn't mean he or she is successful in every single endeavor that they ever attempt. In fact, many times what they do fails. 
but it says even in the midst of failure, that individual spiritually thrives. They, they thrive. It's possible to thrive spiritually in the midst of outward failure. So it's amazing results that flow out of this. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a tree? You ever met a tree? How would you know if you met a tree? Well, you would know. You know when you know. They're, they're fruitful people. Um, they're solid people. Wind's coming against them, and they, they're not going anywhere. In fact, their leaves aren't withering. I mean, stuff's going on in your life, and you somehow find shade under that tree, and you start to eat the fruit that comes off of that tree. And it just whatever they do, success or failure, they seem to prosper in the Lord. That's a whole person. That's a blessed person. And you, if you watch their life closely enough, you're going to see that they are planted by streams of water. When I was in college, I met a tree. And uh, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary. He wasn't, uh, you know, somebody that you might think was a tree. He was a college student that transferred from one college over to the college that I was at uh, because he wanted to, to witness to a lot of unbelievers who didn't follow Jesus. And there was plenty of that on my campus. And um, what I was struck by first off was this guy had an unusual boldness. He, he actually attempted every day before class, uh, he would take 15 minutes out before class and go talk to people about Jesus. Now, I thought this was insane. Now, I didn't say that because I'm a believer and I'm going to the Bible studies, but I honestly thought, you've got to be kidding me. You go out and talk to people about Jesus? I, I, in essence, I said, well, why do you do that? I said it with more spiritual words than that, but I said, what? Why and how? And, and he just said, I just love the Lord. And, you know, I'm reading my Bible and I just want to go tell people about his love and his grace and how they can know God by faith. And so I just thought, gosh, this guy's, this guy's bold. And at first I thought, man, this guy's just, you know, he's just wired this way and he's just extroverted. And then I got to know him and found out that he was not. He was not naturally wired this way. Not only was he bold, he had a confidence. His, his mother had recently uh, died, and he was still wrestling with that. And he had a sister uh, that didn't know the Lord, and he was really wrestling with that and leading her. But in, but in spite of real suffering in his life, he had a confidence, and he had a wisdom. I saw people that were older than him look to him for advice and counsel about things. He was a young man, 1920, and yet he was an oak just growing up and sprouting out. And I, I just thought, I got to get in on that. I got to learn how, how do you become a tree uh, like this guy? So I got to know him. And I found the secret. It, it wasn't that he was just naturally confident or naturally bold or naturally wise. He'll tell you, the, the, he'll be the first one to say. He is an introvert by nature and he's, he struggles with, you know, large crowds and mix and mingling with huge, lots and lots of people and stuff like that. He's more contemplative. It's more 
He's uh, more of a thinker and a teacher and stuff like that. But what made him bold was he every day planted himself like a tree by the waters of the word and the supernatural power of God began to work in his life. And I said, I got to get in on that. And as I did, I started to grow in boldness and confidence and wisdom and all of those kinds of things. And so we can be trees if we make the right choices or we can be wind blown twigs. Notice, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. So in the Bible times, when they would go to threshing the wheat, the, um, the, the grain, which is heavy, would fall. And then what would separate the grain from the husk was simply wind. The grain is solid. And as soon as the wind hit the husk, the worthless stuff around the grain, where did it go? Everywhere. Anywhere. Why? It's not grounded in anything. It's got no weight to it. It's got no substance to it. And that's what the the Bible says the wicked are like. The wicked and the scoffers, for all of their speech and all of their hot air, uh, have no substance And as soon as any wind, it doesn't take a lot of wind, just a tiny bit of wind hits that chaff, they blow away and they're driven around and they just swirl around all over the place. I uh, I grew up in Galveston. And so hurricanes are common in Galveston if you're from the coast. And uh, well, there's two things that are common in that area is oak trees that just grow tall because of the moisture in the soil. And so I just grew up and just looking at these huge oaks at my grandmother's house uh, there and just massive things. So you just watch them sprawl up to the sky and you don't know where one begins and another one ends. And you could just watch the critters all crawling around and playing around up there, the squirrels and whatnot. And uh, the other thing that was common is hurricanes. And I'm going to date myself here, but does anybody remember Hurricane Alicia? Anybody here remember that one? No. I didn't think so. Okay. Kind of other storms have far eclipsed this one, but back in the 80s and and whatnot, that was the big one, was Hurricane Alicia came in. My wife remembers Hurricane Alicia. It was a sister's name, for one. Um, Anyway, (laughs) dumb side point. Why do you need to know that? You know, sharing it, sharing my family history here, my family life. We're just friends talking as friends up here. And uh, anyway, Hurricane Alicia came through, and I was a little boy at the time. I can remember my dad picking me up because I wanted to look out the window when the storm was most hitting out there. And you could hear it. You could, uh, man, it would, sh- it would shake the house. And uh, I would look out that window, and everything in the world is blowing around out there. It was dark and gray, and things are just moving all over the place. And I looked at the trees. Are the trees going to fall? The trees did not fall. Now, some of them looked like that. They were like that in the wind, but they did not fall. And so I was amazed at the power of a tree when those roots go way, way, way down. When your roots go way, way, way down into the word of God, it doesn't matter what wind comes against you. You're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. Well, notice that the consequences are eternal. We think our choices don't really have any results. Well, now they have results. 
I mean, and there is a long-term effect to those results. And notice verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. If you can't stand anywhere and you're blown around today, and you're just all over the place because you're not solid. You don't have any substance to you. You have no weight to you. You're not standing on anything solid. That's, that's uh, not going to change when you see the Son of God face to face. You'll blow around then too. You'll hide and, and try to run and you'll not stand. The Bible says the wicked will not stand in that day when we see God face to face, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You can't just slip in there and say, I'm ready to root myself down now. Everybody's going to say that on that day. I'm ready to root myself into you, Jesus, now. Well, where are your roots? Well, I never, I never put them down anywhere. Well, depart from me. This is a congregation where people have rooted themselves down into me and all the times that I have come to you in grace and revealed my nature to you and invited you into union with me by faith is, is no more. It says, verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So it's disastrous even. It's not just that your life's not going to go as well. If you're not a whole person rooting yourself in the word, it can have some ultimate long-term consequences when you, when you don't make a choice of pursuing God in his word. Okay, so let's back up a little bit and talk about Christian meditation. Uh, I've already said Christian meditation is to think deeply. Uh, here's a definition for you. The word meditates day and night actually means to murmur. That's not a word you probably use every day. So can we all say it together? Murmur. Okay. Uh, to murmur means to talk to yourself. You say, well, I don't have any idea what, you talk, what you're talking about. Yes, you do. You talk to yourself all the time. You talk to yourself every day. Sometimes you do it out loud and sometimes you do it internally. Most of my free speech is on the highway. Uh, I most of the time speak softly to myself when I'm saying things like, what is this guy doing? Are you kidding me? Turn left. What are you, are you getting in front of me? What's this, what, what's your deal? What's this guy's deal behind me? Come on. Uh, okay, hold your horses. Let me get over. You know, I'm saying those kinds of things all the time. Or you're preparing for the uh, business meeting and you're saying, okay, here's what I'm going to say. This person asks this, then I'm going to respond this way. Or you're replaying an event that took place a day or two or three or a month ago and you're replaying that. You ever do that? You replay that? I should have said this. He said this to me. I should have said this. I'll remember next time. Yeah, with my, I've got my comeback ready next time around. And so you, say, you know what I'm saying? You talk to yourself all day long. It just takes the form of worry, frustration, anxiety, and anger. So the psalmist isn't introducing something to us that we don't already do. The psalmist is saying, take what you already do and put it into positive action. Do something with it. You're going to talk to yourself all day anyway. So murmur and talk to yourself about something solid and rich and real, which is the glory of Jesus. Uh, 
Now, there's one other aspect of Christian meditation. It's not just talking to yourself about a truth of the Bible. It's also doing that so that you can put it to memory. Why? Because you want to remember that. That grabbed hold of you. That inspired a faith and a trust in God in a a real way. That met you in a specific way that truth did. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. So how do you know what you should meditate on? Well, oftentimes when you're reading the Bible, you'll encounter a truth that will make you free. And then you want to put it to memory. You want to remember that thing. And that's what meditating on the Word of God day and night is all about. Now, I've already said it's not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind. And that's extremely helpful because have you ever received or given the advice to somebody when they're really struggling with something to just not think about it. And then just wondered, well, how in the world do I do that? (laughs) How do I, I'm worried about something. I'm filled with anxiety. Okay, just stop thinking about it. Okay, I'm not thinking about it. Okay, it's not going anywhere. I'm still worried about this, this thing. Okay, so it's like somebody saying, okay, don't think about purple giraffes. Stop it. Stop thinking about what you're worried about. Now, this, this hit home for us when we were really struggling with infertility. And uh, well-meaning, loving people would, in essence, give advice similar to that without really knowing it. They would say things like, uh, you know, uh, we're praying for you, um, but you know, you, you will get pregnant whenever you stop thinking about it. I just know you're going you're gonna to get pregnant whenever you just stop thinking about it. Well, now not only I not, can I not think about it, now I'm thinking about the fact of how guilty I feel that I am thinking about it. And I can't seem to cut the nerve of my desire for children, which the Bible tells me is a good desire. And, and so uh, it, anyway, it was well-meaning but not helpful. And I've given this kind of advice. I, if I've given this kind of advice to you, I'm sorry. Can I just publicly apologize <laughs> right here and say I'm sorry? If I've not given you something to think about, and I've just said to stop thinking about that, and think, and if I've not given you something to think about, well, that's not what Christian meditation is. Christian meditation is to fix your eyes on something that's going to build up your faith and encourage you. It's not just stop thinking about that. It's focus on this. And I, as, uh, as a dad, I've got a, uh, one little boy that has, in the past, had some nightmares. And so he's called me in his room late at night, and I'm just terrible I waken up in the middle. I lack zero compassion at two in the morning. And so I get in the room and I'm like, what is it? What is it, what is it you're thinking about? And he's kind of going into details about the monster or the boogeyman or whatever it is. And I have given the most unhelpful advice in those moments and said, okay, okay, here's daddy speaking to you. Listen, stop thinking about that. <laughs> and he's looking at me like, okay. And, and just like, how do I stop thinking about it? Just stop thinking. You're not allowed to think about that anymore. Good night. And I'll pray. <laughs> Gold star parenting. Come here. Come on. Come on. You, you've done stuff like that too. Come on now. Don't judge me. Are you judging me? I feel judged. I feel judged. I'm just kidding. So yeah, that's not helpful. That's not, that's not encouraging. I finally bought a clue and said, you know, it's probably helpful to give him something to think about. So now I'm, I'm trying to be creative and say, here's what I want you to think about. Think about when we go to grandma's house, 
all the fun things you want to do. Every single one. To the detail. Every single one. What do you want to eat? What do you want to do? What do you, you know, what do you, what activities would be fun when you're over there? Think about all that. Think about all, I would spend all night thinking about it. As soon as they start thinking about it, they go to sleep. So there you go. Some, uh, some helpful advice there. Uh, so here's what it is. It's thinking on stuff. The stuff of God relieves that frustration and that anxiety. So somebody here is saying, well, why this one activity? Why meditate on the word of God day and night? Why does, it, why does that make such a big difference? And why is that so important? Simply stated, I do not know. <laughs> but I know this. There are certain tried and true activities that work so well, they never become obsolete. Uh, for the amount of effort and energy that you put into it, it yields such a high rate of return. You could do other things, but it's, just, it's still not going to be as high of a yield as if you do this one thing. For instance, um, drinking water. Now, you can drink all the monster energy drinks you want all day long. Uh, but if that's all you drink, or say you just take that five-hour energy, try drinking that all day long and no water. And uh, it's not going to go well for you. Why? Because for the rate of return, as much energy as that provides for, for a moment, it does not do what water does. I was in the gym the other day, and uh, I noticed that all around me is this high class, very expensive uh, machinery everywhere at this gym. I mean, engineers have gone to school and, and made, in a fine-tuned effort, the best equipment that there is today, um, or at least that Anytime Fitness and Aubrey offers. And, uh, and I notice, I'm looking around, nobody's using the machines. And I look around, and what are they doing? Well, tons of guys are doing push-ups. They got their P90X booklet out. And they're doing push-ups because P90X made push-ups popular again and cool again. And they're doing push-ups or they're doing pull-ups or they're doing sit-ups. Well, why are they doing that? Because push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups in the athletic world aren't going anywhere. They're tried and true for the amount of effort that you put into it. Uh, It doesn't matter. You can do all these other things. That's great too. But those things always seem to work. And uh, frankly, it's pragmatic. It just works. You can wash your car. You can paint your car. But if you don't put gas in your car, (laughs) if you don't put oil in your car, the car's going to stop running. So there are certain things that just yield a high rate of return. So uh, that's all about meditating. Now, when it says day and night, is the Bible asking me to go to a commune and just Read the Bible all day long. Well, the history of the church will show you some people have tried to do that. They said, the Bible says to meditate on the word of God day and night. And we're literalists and we're going to go do that. So come on. We're all going to head out to the desert. And we're going to just, all we're going to do is read the Bible day and night. Strikingly, not the way Jesus led his life or how his disciples did or how he commands us to go out into the world to penetrate darkness and lead people to, to Jesus. But it was a well-meaning intention. 
When it says meditate on the word of God day and night, you should think of it like heading to Starbucks. Are there any Starbucks fans in the house? Excellent. Okay. You got one here. When you go to Starbucks, this was more popular back in the day, and they don't do this as much, but you uh, historically could go to Starbucks and you get a cup of coffee and they would offer you one of these, right? And then you have your meeting, you're sitting down with somebody and it's, a, it's an encounter with a person. Now, Starbucks has, ro- has risen in popularity through the years because it's a third place. They've capitalized on the American need for community, really what the church should be doing. Uh, but they have capitalized on the fact that we are human beings and human beings need to meet with and connect with other human beings. So they've established a third place. And at this third place, you can commune with each other and you can do it over an expensive cup of coffee that you feel intimidated to order. And uh, anyway, so that's what you do at a Starbucks. You enjoy a cup of coffee and you do it together. It's a place of encounter and relationship, right? Okay, that's similar to when we get into our Bibles. Everybody, you're getting a Bible, and then you're making an appointment. This is your appointment time. You're spending time with God. It's your moment with God over His Word. And you're, you're drinking in the truths. And you are meditating on the Word of God in those moments. But the glorious thing about Starbucks is, after the meeting... You can take it with you, right? You can take it with you. Can I get an amen? Amen. You can can take this experience and have it all day long. And in my house, you can even reheat it. (laughs) Even if it's a latte. I know that sounds gross, but that's what I do. And if... um, if we were at a meeting together and we had, we had one of these meetings at Starbucks and I said, man, I've really enjoyed our time together. Let me get you a venti cinnamon dolce to go. And I gave you that venti cinnamon dolce. Anybody had a cinnamon dolce from Starbucks? It's like uh, how Robbie Hughes, who's a member of this church, described it to me seven years ago and I became a fan. It's like melted cinnamon toast crunch. It's so good. Please. Starbucks isn't paying me any money to to give that advice. That's free advice. Get you a cinnamon dolce venti. Um, But if I gave that to you and you said, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you popped the lid and over the trash can just guzzled that thing in a minute and then just tossed it aside and said, thanks, see you later. I'd be mad at you. I would be mad. Why? Because my intention was, I want you to take that thing with you. Take that to work. Take that into your car. Take it back home. With, when you're with your kids, just hold it all day long. Just, that's what I do. Hold that thing all, and, and sip it and enjoy it and delight in it all day long. If Starbucks doesn't resonate with you, Route 44 is from, from Sonic, right? Or the big old Chick-fil-A iced teas, okay, for some of you ladies. Amen. 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 Just kidding. So you're supposed to take it with you. That's what meditating on the Word of God day and night means. Take it, take it along. Don't, don't feel like you have to get it all down in this one meetup. All day long you're sipping on the Word of God. So how do we do it? Here's how we're closing. How do we do it? Here are some ways 
that you can meditate on Scripture. This is not new to me. This is all borrowed material here. And they all start with P, okay? How do I do it? First off, after you've taken your meeting time, your appointed time with the Lord, and something's jumped out at you, something's jumped out at you, and you say, I want to take that with me. Here's what you do. Here's one way to do it, is to pronounce it. Pronounce it. So when you pronounce it, you're just saying something out loud. You're literally doing what meditating on the Word of God day and night means. You're murmuring it. You're muttering it. You're saying it. So if you were to take John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The man remains in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. So that's what you take. That's your verse. That jumped out at you when you're reading John 15 and you're like, okay, I'm going to pronounce that thing. I have, this is the number one thing I do with Scripture meditation because I'm an auditory learner. You don't have to be like me. There's other ways to do it, but I'm an auditory person. So the more I repeat it, I say it out loud, the more it just seems to stick right down here. So I'll say John 15, 5, 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 John 15, 5. So you emphasize different things. First, get the, get the reference. Because um, that's really helpful to call back to the devil. Well, John 15, 5 says, that's an aside. So, uh, and then, I am the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains. So you just take a whole day and just focus on the word remains. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me. And I in him, he bears much fruit. The next day, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You take another word in that verse. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 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 Apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Do-do-do. Driving down the road, you can do nothing. Okay? That's ways that you can pronounce it. Everybody with me so far? Sounds very elementary. It's ancient. Okay? It's an ancient discipline. Okay? Next one. Picture it. I don't do this as much, but I have done this. Some of you are visual people. You're artists. And the best way for you to meditate on something is to picture it and to visualize the scene in your mind. Sometimes this is easier to do with a narrative where you see Jesus talking from a hillside and you can picture the hillside and maybe you're drawing the hillside in your journal or something like that. But you can do this with direct teaching from Jesus too. So you've got John 15, 5, and maybe it's helpful for you to pull out your journal and draw the tree that you climbed as a kid where that verse made you think of that tree where the limbs were so strong and you can still remember the tiny branches and the big old fruit that came off of those little branches when they just remained in that trunk of that tree. Something like that. You can take any number of verses and visualize it. Think about, think about it in your mind. Uh, this is also a way to fight off. If you are frightened easily by visuals, And here's what I mean. Your mind can go a thousand different places with a visual 
You've seen something. You wish, oh, I wish I hadn't seen that. And now I've got a visual in, in my mind. This is a great tool to fight that visual. Some of you, you you've got to fight a visual with a visual. And so you've you got to engage your mind and think on something um, of, of truth and visualize that thing in your head. And that will fight off that picture um, that's not helpful. Okay. Next is you can paraphrase it. So pronounce it, picture it. Here's another one. It's paraphrase it. Now, when you paraphrase something, you just rewrite the verse in your own words. Well, is that okay to do? Yes, it's totally okay to do. Now, it's not okay to say, this is the Bible. Uh, But it's totally okay to say, this is uh, my paraphrase of that verse that's helped me and encouraged me. So you're reading John 15, 5, and you pull out your journal and you relate that verse to your phone that dies all the time. All the time, your phone dies. And you're like, okay, this verse says, in essence, you are a dead phone. I am the cord plugged into the wall. If you stay connected to me and I'm connected to you, you will not die every 30 minutes. <laughs> but be fully alive and alert. Or something like that. You know, you pick your own imagery that really speaks to you and paraphrase it. Is that the Bible? Well, no, it's a paraphrase of the Bible, but I'm not passing it off as the Bible. I'm not trying to publish that thing and say, this is the Bible. So don't worry about it. Next is to personalize it. Personalize it. That's where you replace pronouns or people in the verse with your own name. That's, uh, you guys know what pronouns are. Pronouns are he's and she's and we's and those kinds of things with your own name. So you take John 15, 5, and you say, Jesus is the vine, Rob is the branch. If Rob remains in Jesus and Jesus in Rob, Rob will bear much fruit. For apart from Jesus, Rob can do nothing. When you start doing that with some verses, it's pretty powerful. Those truths start to land home, and it's not just a truth out there for somebody. It's right here. It's for me. And you're grabbing hold of that, and you're applying it to your own, your own heart. So you can personalize it. It's pretty powerful. And then here's another one, is to pray it. You, if you do any of those that I just mentioned, you'll probably start to do this all by yourself. Without even thinking about it, you'll start to do this. But you can intentionally turn the verse into a prayer and say it back to God. God, I thank you that you are a vine. And I thank you that I am just a branch and I don't have to be the vine. I can just be a branch. And I can just focus on you as the vine and know that you're going to bear much fruit through me. God, I thank you that I can't do anything apart from you. In fact, I can do nothing, the Bible says, apart from you. So thank you that I don't have to worry about um, producing. I just need to worry about abiding and remaining in you. So we start praying that stuff back. That's a way to meditate and you're putting the word of God to, to memory. Here's how Donald Whitney writes about it in Spiritual Disciplines of a Christian Life. And then we're going to do some singing. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. So just hear this and, uh, and then we'll stand in just a second. Donald Whitney writes it like this. A simple analogy would be a cup of tea. 
You are the cup of hot water. And the intake of Scripture is represented by the tea bag. Is everybody with me so far on the tea and how the tea bags and some of you drink tea and some of you don't? But you're the, pretend you're the cup of hot water and Scripture intake is the tea bag that's going to turn that cup of hot water into tea. Hearing God's word is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag. In this analogy, reading, studying, memorizing God's word are represented by additional plunges of the tea, the tea bag into the cup. The more frequent the tea enters the water, the more effect it has. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly tinctured reddish brown. That's what we do when we make an effort to picture it and to pronounce it and to paraphrase it or personalize it or pray it back. When we take an intentional effort to, I'm going to put this to memory because I'm not only delighting in it, it's making me strong when I soak my roots deep down into that. That's what, that's what happens. With, with, without our knowing, it just goes all up in us and out of us and we become like a tree. And after a while of just doing things like that, we'll start to notice people coming to us for shade. You thought, I mean, I've, I've never given shade to anybody like other people have or other people that I see. And you can become a tree planted by streams of water through simple choices of abiding in the word. You're going to start to discover people coming to you for shade and seeing the fruit coming from your life. And you're going to start to go up to God and out to to others. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.